Good morning. Certainly is wonderful to be invited to join you this morning and to share with you from the pages of God's Word. We're happy for everyone who's come. I could only wish that I knew everyone personally who's here and hope that by the end of the time together I'll know your name a little bit better. If you're a visitor today, we'd like to know that and I'd like to get to meet you um, we do have visitors with us this morning that I know of. It's good to have a family from the place where I used to preach years ago, good friends of ours, Gary and Barbara. Uh, good to have them. They've been with us the last couple of days, and we've been able to spend some good time together. And so we appreciate them uh, continuing to stay so they could be with us this morning. And I'm very happy to say my brother's in the audience this morning and his sweet wife. Uh, it's good to have them able to be with us, even though they, they live a distance away. It was a surprise for me this morning to see them. Um, it's good to be with uh, some of my family this morning. It's good to be with a cousin of mine, Larry, uh, who's my favorite cousin. Don't tell the other cousins, Larry, that I said that. But um, Larry and I kind of grew up together, and Charlotte uh, all went to school together. And, of course, we went to church together growing up, and so it's a wonderful thing to see Larry and Linda and be able to be with them and all of you. I feel like I know some of you because Charlotte and I have visited here in the past a few times, and we appreciate you so much and the work that you're doing here. It's wonderful to share in this time together when we can study and sing and pray and encourage each other in the most holy faith. This morning I would like to think with you about uh, a time for every purpose under heaven. This is a beautiful poem that has been written by Solomon many years ago. It is one of the most beautiful poems, I think, that is found in all the Bible. There are several poems in the Bible, but we need to understand they are not the kind of poems that we're accustomed to. They do not rhyme the words, but they rhyme the thoughts. When I was in school years ago, we many times wrote beautiful sayings and best wishes in some of our, our books. Uh, when you had a yearbook each year in high school, we would sign each other's yearbook and, and express wishes and beautiful things. I always wanted to find something that would be uh, just right for my friends and the people that I cared about. And so I would choose rhymes. Uh, you know, when I was younger, it, it was roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. And I, I know I wrote that to Charlotte before we even got married. Uh, but I, I wanted to say it a different way, so I, I made up something different. Um, uh, roses are red, uh, violets are purple, you're as sweet as sugar maple circle. And that's hard to write, especially to spell. But, you know, uh, the songs that we've been singing this morning, many of them rhyme. And they're written that way because that's the kind of poetry that we're familiar with in our culture, in our country. But the Hebrews had a different kind of rhyming, a different kind of poetry. They rhymed their thoughts instead of the words. And so in the Old Testament, especially in the wisdom literature, the book of Job, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, in those books particularly, you will find a great amount of poetry. And this is one of the most beautiful poetry uh, 
expressions that we have in all the Word of God. But it, we must remember is parallelism. That's what we call the rhyming of thoughts. Many times the poets would write and rhyme their thoughts by saying something that was the same. And so the beginning of a verse or the first part of the verse might sound the same, but just in a different way of expressing it. And that's called parallelism. Uh, in that case, um, uh, synonymous parallelism. But then there's the time whenever you say the opposite. This is true in regard to this, but this is the opposite of that. And that's antithetic parallelism. And there are all different kinds of parallelism, about five or six different kinds. And knowing that will really enhance your appreciation of the way the Word of God is written in those books that we call the wisdom literature. This morning, I'm uh, encouraging you to study with me from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a beautiful expression, a most beautiful poem that Solomon wrote. This poem is in the context of the writer's lament about the vanity of life under the sun. When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, or the preacher, he is really preaching a sermon. And he is saying the same thing from the beginning of his sermon to the very end. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you notice the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll notice that expression begins the book in chapter 1 and verse 1, and then it's found near the end of the book in chapter 12 and verse 8. And so Solomon is saying, I have experienced much in my life, I've been a rich man, I've been blessed with wisdom from God, I've been able to do so many things. I've seen so much. But I want you to know that much of what I cared about was vanity. It was a waste of time. And there was nothing that did my soul any good from those things that I really cared about, that I sought after most of my life. And so we know he ends this great book by saying, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every hidden thing. And that's why we need to obey the gospel. That's why we need to be faithful to Jesus. Because we know a day of judgment is coming. So Solomon in this book seems sad at times. He seems depressed at times. But really he's just trying to learn to deal with life under the sun. And recognize that many earthly things are vanity, a waste of time. And so we've got to understand God's plan and God's purpose. We must recognize the providence of God. Solomon learns and sees that there are many things that are beyond man's control. No matter how wise or rich or powerful or privileged one may be, he cannot prevent sorrow, he cannot prevent sickness, he cannot prevent death. Solomon writes to help us to learn that true comfort and happiness will only come by placing our trust in the Lord. In this inspired Bible text of Ecclesiastes 3, and I so appreciate our brother reading that text for us this morning, and it's on the screen, but in a different version, no doubt, so it sounds a little bit different than what I'll be looking at from my Bible text this morning. But today, as God's children... We should make every effort to do the very best in our life by learning and seizing 
the very things that are made in our lifetimes, the fabric of our lives, the things that God gives to us. These are providential opportunities in life, and God offers us these brief lifetimes that we have so that we can live in the very best way that he desires us to live. Our times and our seasons have been appointed by God. And when we can understand that, as Solomon did, and when we can embrace that, everything that happens has its time, its purpose, its reason. And when we can understand and embrace that, it makes life so much happier. And our understanding of God's will more significant. Solomon says there is a time for every purpose under heaven. And in this we see the providence of God. We can see a helpful contemplation of what it means to recognize the providence of, of God. Today as his children we should understand that things are going to change, that things are going to get worse, that things are going to get better, that things are going to be good, that things are not going to be good, and that there are different seasons that we will experience in our lifetime. A time for every purpose under heaven. Our times and our seasons are appointed by God. In all of this, everything serves God's divine purpose. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. The preacher will say this in Ecclesiastes again and again. In one place, Solomon said, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 17. And so he recognized that there was a time for everything. There was a time for him to rejoice. There was a time for him to sorrow, as we'll see in what he writes in this great poem. In another place, he said, Because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? This is one of the sad possibilities that we experience over and over again in life. We don't know what's going to happen. So how can we always be prepared for it? Well, one of the best ways is to understand that all of these happen in time because of God's providence. That we experience the ups and downs and the blessings and the difficulties of life because we are upon God's earth. And all things happen according to His plan and His purpose. Some of the things are going to be difficult for us because of the consequences of our sin. The consequences of our choices in life when we do not go the right way. But when we do what is right and blessed in His sight, we'll enjoy the blessings that come from His hand. All of these times and these beautiful poems uh, we'll experience if we're blessed to live long enough. And you will think about that as we speak about each of these things that happen in time. First of all, there is a time to be born and a time to die. The time of our birth is certainly outside of our control. And death is something that we eventually cannot prevent. No one can prevent death from happening. And all of us will die because it is appointed and a man wants to die because of his sin. 
Birth and death both have their appointed seasons. We should celebrate and rejoice when we can at the birth of another. And we should reflect and remember and be sobered by the death of loved ones and cherish them in their memory and be blessed by the good things that they have done in their life. But there is a time to be born and a time to die. Solomon writes and says there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Any farmer or gardener certainly understands this and can attest to the truth of this statement. There's just the right time to plant certain things. And you have to be aware of the growing season so that you'll be sure and harvest or pluck or pick what you've planted at just the right time. Food for man's survival depends upon knowing this. There's also great spiritual application of this in the Word of God. There is in the parable of the sword, the sowing of the gospel seed, there is a time to teach someone the truth of the Lord. It is always the right time to sow the seed of the kingdom. Are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother? We sang, and we recognize how important it is for us to be involved in the planting of the word of God in the hearts of men. There's also a time whenever we recognize the other part of that. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted, Jesus said. That there is a time coming whenever those religious movements that have not been established by God, that are not founded on the truth and teaching of Jesus Christ, are going to be removed. They're going to be plucked up. Jesus said they will be uprooted if God has not planted them. And so we need to be spiritually concerned about what is planted in our heart, what we're planting as we sow the seed of the kingdom, how we're living our lives and how we're going to meet our maker in the very end. We want to be ready for when the Lord comes. Solomon says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. When you think of the idea of a time to kill, it's not just talking about the sacrifices maybe that the Jews made or the killing of an animal for food or something like that, but recognize that capital punishment was something that was sanctioned under the Old Testament law. This was something that God provided his people to guide them and direct them and make fairness, and make things right in his will for mankind upon the earth. And we learn in the New Testament that it's still authorized by God under the will of Jesus Christ. Expressed in the book of Romans chapter 13, we know that the civil government is given to us by the will of God. And God has established the authority of the government and teaches us that we must submit to the government as long as the government is right and we're not disobeying God's will. But we submit to the powers that be. And the civil government has the power and the authority to take the life of someone who should be punished in such a way. He beareth not the sword in vain. It's sad in our country today that so many people uh, would try to change that. And so many states have tried to change God's intention. That the civil authority have that right and power and that they exercise that. And if a man commits some capital offense, then he gives his life because of that. 
But in our world today, people are concerned about making sure that no one is put to death in spite of the teaching of God. And so the heart of man is fully set in him to do evil because there's no great penalty for many people. And we recognize the breakdown in our society because of that. God's will is expressed here. There is a time to kill and a time to heal. Jesus said those who are sick may need a physician. All of us at some time need healing. We need the doctor. We need to go to the doctor. We need to see something that might heal us of our sickness. And spiritually, of course, we're all in need of the great physician, Jesus Christ. There's a time for healing, and we look to the Lord for that healing. Solomon wrote and says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Like the demolition of a building or the dismantling of a dilapidated structure, we see it happen all the time. Buildings are being taken down. Houses are being dismantled. And things, new things are going up. Building up can apply to not only structures, but also to our plans. We need to be building plans for our life. Plans for our souls. Building up our souls is one of the most important things. There's time for that. And you need to take that whenever it's a precious thing, a precious time. Don't wait until it's too late to begin to be concerned about your soul. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. When we think about that, we think about the teaching of the Scripture in that regard. And that's one of the most important ways that we can use this poem to direct our lives. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. These emotions deal with feelings of the heart and they come into the lives of each and every one of us. Good times and bad times come into the lives of us all. Romans chapter 12 verse 15 tells us, Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. There will be many times we'll shed tears. There are many times that we weep because of a loss of some kind, a loss of a loved one, a loss of something precious and dear to us a lost relationship, a lost relationship with the Lord. We weep over those who have gone astray, who have left the Lord, who no longer walk according to His will. A time to rejoice or laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. These emotions come as different events come into our lives. We, as children of God, must help each other during these times. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Solomon writes and says, it's a time sometimes to cast away stones, or a time to gather stones together. As the oldest in my family, I certainly experienced this growing up on the farm. Many times uh, I would help dad remove large stones from the fields that we had to plant. If you didn't remove those stones, and I always wondered how they got to be there, I asked Dad when I was young, very young, who put these here? <laughs> and Dad said, son, they just work their way up in the ground. As the ground is worked, uh, those stones come to the surface. But we would have to go out and remove those large stones. If you didn't remove them from the field, you couldn't plow, you couldn't plant without damaging your instruments. 
And so we'd go and, and we'd get those stones. I, I tried to get some of the big ones. Of course, I couldn't lift them. Dad would have to help. But we would carry those big stones to the end of the field and place them there. And then at some point, whenever the fence was broken, when something happened, we'd build a stone fence where uh, that opening was. And so I'm very much aware of how this happens, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. We can recognize the application of that metaphorically. There are times to remove things that cause us to stumble, that cause us to fall. They must be removed from our pathway. We must gather these things and take them out of our way. There is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. The wise child of God recognizes that. There's a proper time for many of the things that we might do. The embrace of friendship is proper and right, and we should. The embrace of married love is always proper in the place where God put it. Marriage is honorable among all, and the act of married love is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. There are some times we should not embrace. You see God's purpose in all of these things that Solomon recognizes as he looks at life, and how things change, and, and how they're different from time to time because of the purpose, because of the season, because of the circumstances of our life, a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. In our earthly lives, there are many gains and there are many losses. There are good things and useful ways to gain proper wealth. It's okay to gain wealth, to be wealthy, to be rich, if you are doing what is right, if you're working in a proper way. And there must be a proper attitude to eventual loss, that we will suffer setbacks in life, that we'll lose things, that we'll lose maybe our wealth, that we'll lose our prosperity, or we'll lose our health. There's a time that we will prosper, and there's a time whenever we will suffer. Wisdom must be used to know when and in what way to obtain earthly gain. And wisdom must be found in order to take care of how we submit to loss. Even what to throw away. Many of us ought to throw things away. Many of us have too many things that we've accumulated. Some people just hoard everything, and then they have nowhere to really enjoy life because they, they live in a mess. There's a time to gather it, and there's a time to throw it away or to suffer loss. And we recognize throwing away can be a blessing in time. There is a time to tear or tear and a time to sow. The Old Testament time was generally understood in the time of weeping and showing a sign of grief. And so they would tear their garments when that happened. Maybe you can think of a few examples of that in the Bible. Do you remember whenever the brothers of Joseph decided to take his life, and so they threw him in a big, deep pit, uh, intending that he die there? And then when an opportunity came for them to make some money from losing him or getting rid of him, they sold him to a traveling band of people that were heading toward Egypt. They sold him into slavery, and they 
may benefit to themselves by selling their brother into slavery. And one of those brothers, um, Reuben, was not present when that happened. He thought that his brother Joseph was still in the pit, and so he intended to go and rescue him. But when he got there, he found his brother gone and didn't know where he was, didn't know what had happened to him. He had not been witness to his selling into slavery, and it says that Reuben rent his garments and wept bitterly. All of those brothers should have been doing that. When they took some of Joseph's clothing that they'd placed blood on, intending for his father to jump to the conclusion that he'd been killed by a wild animal, that's exactly what happened. And then his father rent his clothes, tore his clothes. That was something they did back then. You and I yell and scream and weep and moan, and, and we suffer loss in maybe a different way. But that's the way these people of Old Testament time had to show their heartache and hurt and their loss. But here's the amazing thing. The sowing was what they did after they'd torn their clothes. In a few days after their sorrow was over, they had to sew them back together. And that's exactly where this expression came from, I believe. A time to tear and a time to sow. So a time of mourning can be over whenever we patch things up and go back to our time of rejoicing. Solomon says there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. There are times when we should speak out and other times when we should keep our mouths shut. We wish some people would learn that. A couple of Proverbs illustrate these two truths. In Proverbs 15 verse 23, Solomon wrote, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it, or how good it is. Whenever you say just the right thing at just the right time, brethren, that's what we ought to be striving to do. Encourage when it, we need to encourage. Discourage people from doing the wrong thing whenever we can, but say the right thing, the best thing, the good thing, the helpful thing, at just the right time, how good it is. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. And maybe we wish that more fools would hold their peace many times instead of saying things when they do. But there's a time to keep silent and there is a time to speak out. He writes and says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Both of these emotions, love and hate, are common to our lives. And the scriptures show us how they're both needed for godly balance. Certainly, most of us appreciate that there are many things to love. But how many of us recognize there are also things that we need to hate? Psalm 97 verse 10 admonishes us, you who love the Lord hate evil. I think we should recognize that. It's taught in the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament. If we love the things that God loves, we also need to hate the things that God hates. And there are many things happening today in our country, in our lives that God hates. We must learn how He feels about those things. We must recognize what he desires and what he does not want. We must recognize the stand that we ought to take, the voice that needs to be heard. And we must hate the things that God hates 
as well as love the things that God loves. Of the Lord Jesus, Hebrews 1 verse 9 says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. God's people must learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. As terrible a thing as war is, I believe we all recognize that it's sometimes necessary in order to protect ourselves, in order to protect our country, necessary for peace and freedom sometimes to be at war. We certainly recognize that our forebears went through a time of that, and even some of us have lived through a time of war in our lifetime. We can even see its application in spiritual realms, and that's especially where I think we need to recognize it. Paul speaks of our spiritual warfare against sin and evil. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We wrestle against flesh and blood? No. We wrestle against principalities and powers, the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have a great enemy. We have a common enemy that we fight. We need to fight. We must fight. Or he will win. And we must keep him out of our lives and the influence that he has out of our lives. We must fight the good fight of faith, the Bible says. Paul encouraged young Timothy to wage a good warfare, spiritually speaking. 1 Timothy 1.18 He told him, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. God enlisted all of us in his army. And so we must fight the good fight of faith. It's important that we recognize that because life is not just about going about appreciating the good things and enjoying that. We must recognize that we have freedom in so many ways and we ought to appreciate and love that and defend it. But at the same time, we must be ready to fight against that which is evil, especially the evil that takes over the mind and the soul. It's clear to see from Bible teaching there's a time for God's people to hate and war, just as there should be time for seeking the most desirable attitudes of love and peace. Well, I must conclude my lesson this morning. The preacher says God has made everything beautiful in its time. At the end of this poem, there are so many important things that Solomon says, and I, I end with those important things, that God has made everything beautiful. We may not always see that because of the timing of things, because of the season, because of the circumstances, but there's a time for every purpose under heaven, and God made things that way. The providence of God when we recognize it, will help us to live our lives more acceptably. Solomon tells us that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. People with their finite minds cannot completely fathom God's divine purposes. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. No one can find out all of these marvelous things, these mysteries that are hidden from man. But we can appreciate the things we do know the things we do learn, the things we are told, the things that are written in the Word of God. And we must recognize that none of us are going to know it all, and none of us are going to understand it all. 
We must strive to understand God's will for our life. Solomon perceives that nothing is better for mankind than to rejoice and do good in their lives. Here's what we all should be seeking to do. To rejoice. Rejoice in the good. Rejoice in the right. Rejoice in the happy things. Rejoice in the things that bring good things into our lives. And do good throughout our days. That's what we're here for, he says. He says, every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. Why, Solomon? Because he says it's a gift from God. God made it this way. He made the earth and he blesses us with great things from the earth. He blesses us according to his will. But he says people can do nothing to defer or defeat his divine purpose and his providence. He expects mankind to fear and reverence him. And when we study his will, whenever we recognize his power, when we realize how we are subject and amenable to God's laws, then we will fear before him and we will reverence him. And we will recognize that everything is according to God's will. He shows us that we must be in favor with God because he requires an account of what is past. This is just a beautiful poetic way of saying God's going to hold you accountable for what you've done. It's like what Paul wrote in the New Testament by inspiration. As a man sows, that shall he also reaps. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But we have the guarantee that if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. And so everyone will be judged. That ought to sober us this morning. We're heading for judgment, all of us. The good ones, the strong ones, the weak ones, the unfaithful ones. We're all heading for the judgment of God. He requires an account of what is past. You know, what I think about is how I want to make sure my past is covered. And the only thing I can cover it with that, that will make a difference is the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to be sure that I've been forgiven. I want to be sure that the things that I've done in the past that were wrong and sinful are not going to keep me and haunt me and make sure that I'm not ready for the coming of my Lord. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, he says, verse 17. More clearly than most other New, New Testament statements or Old Testament books, this statement points us to the judgment day before God that is coming. We're all heading for that time. Ecclesiastes 3.17. And when you think about that, the question for each of us this morning is, are we ready for that time? Are we ready for the judgment day? The day when Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and those that have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important that we know this, that we hear it, that we preach it, that we share it with our friends and our loved ones because we don't want anyone to be lost. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to be lost. And so he warns us ahead of time. The judgment day is coming and we're all going to give an account. And that's why it's so important that we learn the providence of God and the working of God and the will of God expressed to us in this passage and many more, but especially in the, in the New Testament. 
where the will of Jesus Christ for our lives is seen today. And we know that Jesus died and shed his blood that we might be ready for that time that is to come. When God will send his son who will judge the world in righteousness. And we, if we've obeyed him, if we've been born again, if we've been washed clean in the blood of the lamb, we'll be ready for that time of judgment. We're asking this morning, are you ready for the judgment day that Solomon speaks about here? It's so important that we recognize the seasons of life, the things that come and the things that go, and how to live and how to react to the bad times and the good times. These charts might be of help if you haven't obeyed the gospel. Hear and believe the truth about Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, as the Bible teaches. That means to change your past to turn back from the old bad things that you've done and say, I'm going to live a different life, to confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. When you do that, you're on your way. And then you are baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Most of us, maybe many of us, uh, have done that already. But we must remain faithful. Be thou faithful unto death, Jesus said, and I will give thee a crown of life. You know, we're saved, but only if we obey the gospel. We're saved if we hold fast the word that has been preached to us. We're saved if we continue in the faith, if we abide in the doctrine of Christ, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we add to our faith certain things, if we endure to the very end. I put that up to help people, but I put it up to help myself, to remind myself, this is, this is not over for you, Bob. You've just started down the road, and you've got to continue. And you want to be sure that you're ready for that time when you stand before the great judge. It'll be a time of rejoicing for those who are ready. It'll be a time of weeping and mourning and great loss and suffering for those who are unprepared. And that's why it's so important that we share the good news and give everyone an opportunity to become a child of God. If you haven't come to Jesus today, we'd like to encourage you. We'd like to invite you. And so we sang an invitation song that will help you to think about your soul and, and encourage you to know that we're ready to help you. We once stood where you were, and we remember when we came to Jesus and when we were obedient and how we rejoiced and how we felt better because we did. If you're ready to take that step, We'd like to help you now while we stand and while we sing.